Section 16 of The American Crisis by Thomas Paine. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Bruce Kachuk. The Crisis Number 12 to the Earl of Shelburne. Published Philadelphia, October 29, 1782. My Lord, a speech which has been printed in several of the British and New York newspapers as coming from your lordship in answer to one from the Duke of Richmond of the 10th of July last contains expressions and opinions so new and singular and so enveloped in mysterious reasoning that I address this publication to you for the purpose of giving them a free and candid examination. The speech I allude to is in these words, quote, His lordship said it had been mentioned in another place that he had been guilty of inconsistency. To clear himself of this, he asserted that he still held the same principles in respect to American independence, which he at first imbibed. He had been, and yet was of opinion, whenever the Parliament of Great Britain acknowledges that point, the sun of England's glory is set forever. Such were the sentiments he possessed on a former day, and such the sentiments he continued to hold at this hour. It was the opinion of Lord Chatham, as well as many other able statesmen. Other noble lords, however, think differently, and, as a majority of the cabinet support them, he acquiesced in the measure dissenting from the idea, and the point is settled for bringing the matter into the full discussion of Parliament, where it will be candidly, fairly, and impartially debated. The independence of America would end in the ruin of England, and that a peace patched up with France would give that proud enemy the means of yet trampling on this country. The sun of England's glory he wished not to see set forever. He looked for a spark at least to be left, which might in time light us up to a new day. But if independence was to be granted, if Parliament deemed that measure prudent, he foresaw, in his own mind, that England was undone. He wished to God that he had been deputed to Congress, that he might plead the cause of that country as well as of this, and that he might exercise whatever powers he possessed as an orator to save both from ruin, in a conviction to Congress that, if their independence was signed, their liberties were gone forever. Peace, his lordship added, was a desirable object, but it must be an honourable peace, and not an humiliating one, dictated by France or insisted on by America. It was very true that this kingdom was not in a flourishing state. It was impoverished by war. But if we were not rich, it was evident that France was poor. If we were straitened in our finances, the enemy were exhausted in their resources. This was a great empire. It abounded with brave men, who were able and willing to fight in a common cause. The language of humiliation should not, therefore, be the language of Great Britain. His lordship said that he was not afraid nor ashamed of those expressions going to America. There were numbers, great numbers there, who were of the same way of thinking in respect to that country being dependent on this, and who, with his lordship, perceived ruin and independence linked together. Thus far the speech on which I remark that his lordship is a total stranger to the mind and sentiments of America that he has wrapped himself up in fond delusion that something less than independence may under his administration be accepted and he wishes himself sent to congress to prove the most extraordinary of all doctrines which is 
that independence the sublimest of all human conditions is thus of liberty in answer to which we may say that in order to know what the contrary word dependence means we have only to look back to those years of severe humiliation when the mildest of all petitions could obtain no other notice than the haughtiest of all insults and when the base terms of unconditional submission were demanded or undistinguishable destruction threatened it is nothing to us that the ministry have been changed for they may be changed again the guilt of a government is the crime of a whole country and the nation that can though but for a moment think and act as england has done can never afterwards be believed or trusted there are cases in which it is as impossible to restore character to life as it is to recover the dead it is a phoenix that can expire but once and from whose ashes there is no resurrection some offences are of such a slight composition that they reach no further than the temper and are created or cured by a thought but the sin of england has struck the heart of america and nature has not left in our power to say we can forgive your lordship wishes for an opportunity to plead before congress the cause of england and america and to save as you say both from ruin that the country which for more than seven years has sought our destruction should now cringe to solicit our protection is adding the wretchedness of disgrace to the misery of disappointment and if england has the least spark of supposed honour left that spark must be darkened by asking and extinguished by receiving the smallest favour from america for the criminal who owes his life to the grace and mercy of the injured is more executed by living than he who dies but a thousand pleadings even from your lordship can have no effect honour interest and every sensation of the heart would plead against you we are a people who think not as you think and what is equally true you cannot feel as we feel the situations of the two countries are exceedingly different ours has been the seat of war yours has seen nothing of it the most wanton destruction has been committed in our sight the most insolent barbarity has been acted on our feelings we can look round and see the remains of burnt and destroyed houses once the fair fruit of hard industry and now the striking monuments of british brutality we walk over the dead whom we loved in every part of america and remember by whom they fell there is scarcely a village but brings to life some melancholy thought and reminds us of what we have suffered and of those we have lost by the inhumanity of britain a thousand images arise to us which from situation you cannot see and are accompanied by as many ideas which you cannot know and therefore your supposed system of reasoning would apply to nothing and all your expectations die of themselves the question whether england shall accede to the independence of america and which your lordship says is to undergo a parliamentary discussion is so very simple and composed of so few cases that it scarcely needs a debate it is the only way out of an expensive and ruinous war which has no object and without which acknowledgment there can be no peace but your lordship says the sun of great britain will set whenever she acknowledges the independence of america whereas the metaphor would have been strictly just to have left the sun wholly out of the figure 
and have ascribed her not acknowledging it to the influence of the moon but the expression if true is the greatest confession of disgrace that could be made and furnishes america with the highest notions of sovereign independent importance mr wedderburn about the year seventeen seventy six made use of an idea of much the same kind relinquish america says he what is it but to desire a giant to shrink spontaneously into a dwarf alas are those people who call themselves englishmen of so little internal consequence that when america is gone or shuts her eyes upon them their sun is set they can shine no more but grope about in obscurity and contract into insignificant animals was america then the giant of the empire and england only her dwarf in waiting is the case so strangely altered that those who once thought we could not live without them are now brought to declare that they cannot exist without us will they tell to the world and that from their first minister of state that america is their all in all that it is by her importance only that they can live and breathe and have a being will they who long since threatened to bring us to their feet bow themselves to ours and own that without us they are not a nation are they become so unqualified to debate on independence that they have lost all idea of it themselves and are calling to the rocks and mountains of america to cover their insignificance or if america is lost is it manly to sob over it like a child for its rattle and invite the laughter of the world by declarations of disgrace surely a more consistent line of conduct would be to bear it without complaint and to show that england without america can preserve her independence and a suitable rank with other european powers you were not contented while you had her and to weep for her now is childish but lord shelburne thinks something may yet be done what that something is or how it is to be accomplished is a matter in obscurity by arms there is no hope the experience of nearly eight years with the expense of an hundred million pounds sterling and the loss of two armies must positively decide that point besides the british have lost their interest in america with the disaffected every part of it has been tried there is no new scene left for delusion and the thousands who have been ruined by adhering to them and have now to quit the settlements which they had acquired and be conveyed like transports to cultivate the deserts of augustine and nova scotia has put an end to all further expectations of aid if you cast your eyes on the people of england what have they to console themselves with for the millions expended or what encouragement is there left to continue throwing good money after bad america can carry on the war for ten years longer and all the charges of government included for less than you can defray the charges of war and government for one year and i who know both countries know well that the people of america can afford to pay their share of the expense much better than the people of england can besides it is their own estates and property their own rights liberties and government that they are defending and were they not to do it they would deserve to lose all and none would pity them the fault would be their own and their punishment just the british army in america care not how long the war lasts they enjoy an easy and indolent life they fatten on the folly of one country and the spoils of another 
and between their plunder and their prey may go home rich but the case is very different with the laboring farmer the working tradesman and the necessitous poor in england the sweat of whose brow goes day after day to feed in prodigality and sloth the army that is robbing both them and us removed from the eye of that country that supports them and distant from the government that employs them they cut and carve for themselves and there is none to call them to account but england will be ruined says lord shelburne if america is independent then i say is england already ruined for america is already independent and if lord shelburne will not allow this he immediately denies the fact which he infers besides to make england the mere creature of america is paying too great a compliment to us and too little to himself but the declaration is a rhapsody of inconsistency for to say as lord shelburne has numberless times said that the war against america is ruinous and yet to continue the prosecution of that ruinous war for the purpose of avoiding ruin is a language which cannot be understood neither is it possible to see how the independence of america is to accomplish the ruin of england after the war is over and yet not affected before america cannot be more independent of her nor a greater enemy to her hereafter than she now is nor can england derive less advantages from her than at present why then is ruin to follow in the best state of the case and not in the worst and if not in the worst why is it to follow at all that a nation is to be ruined by peace and commerce and fourteen or fifteen millions a year less expenses than before is a new doctrine in politics we have heard much clamour of national savings and economy but surely the true economy would be to save the whole charge of a silly foolish and headstrong war because compared with this all other retrenchments are bubbles and trifles but is it possible that lord shelburne can be serious in supposing that the least advantage can be obtained by arms or that any advantage can be equal to the expense or the danger of attempting it will not the capture of one army after another satisfy him must all become prisoners must england ever be the sport of hope and the victim of delusion sometimes our currency was to fail another time our army was to disband then whole provinces were to revolt such a general said this and that another wrote so and so lord chatham was of this opinion and lord somebody else of another to-day twenty thousand russians and twenty russian ships of the line were to come to-morrow the empress was abused without mercy or decency then the emperor of germany was to be bribed with a million of money and the king of prussia was to do wonderful things at one time it was lo here and then it was lo there sometimes this power and sometimes that power was to engage in the war just as if the whole world was mad and foolish like britain and thus from year to year has every straw been catched at and every will with a wisp led them a new dance this year a still newer folly is to take place lord shelburne wishes to be sent to congress and he thinks that something may be done are not the repeated declarations of congress and which all america supports that they will not even hear any proposals whatever 
until the unconditional and unequivocal independence of america is recognized are not i say these declarations answer enough but for england to receive anything from america now after so many insults injuries and outrages acted towards us would show such a spirit of meanness in her that we could not but despise her for accepting it and so far from lord shelburne's coming here to solicit it it would be the greatest disgrace we could do them to offer it england would appear a wretch indeed at this time of day to ask or owe anything to the bounty of america has not the name of englishman blots enough upon it without inventing more even lucifer would scorn to reign in heaven by permission and yet an englishman can creep for only an entrance into america or has a land of liberty so many charms that to be a doorkeeper in it is better than to be an english minister of state but what can this expected something be or if obtained what can it amount to but new disgraces contentions and quarrels the people of america have for years accustomed themselves to think and speak so freely and contemptuously of english authority and the inveteracy is so deeply rooted that a person invested with any authority from that country and attempting to exercise it here would have the life of a toad under a harrow they would look on him as an interloper to whom their compassion permitted a residence he would be no more than the mungo of a farce and if he disliked that he must set off it would be a station of degradation debased by our pity and despised by our pride and would place england in a more contemptible situation than any she has yet been in during the war we have too high an opinion of ourselves even to think of yielding again the least obedience to outlandish authority and for a thousand reasons england would be the last country in the world to yield it to she has been treacherous and we know it her character is gone and we have seen the funeral surely she loves to fish in troubled waters and drink the cup of contention or she would not now think of mingling her affairs with those of america it would be like a foolish dotard taking to his arms the bride that despises him or who has placed on his head the ensigns of her disgust it is kissing the hand that boxes his ears and proposing to renew the exchange the thought is as servile as the war is wicked and shows the last scene of the drama to be as inconsistent as the first as america is gone the only act of manhood is to let her go your lordship had no hand in the separation and you will gain no honor by temporizing politics besides there is something so exceedingly whimsical unsteady and even insincere in the present conduct of england that she exhibits herself in the most dishonorable colors on the second of august last general carleton and admiral digby wrote to general washington in these words quote, the resolution of the house of commons of the twenty seventh of february last has been placed in your excellency's hands and intimations given at the same time that further pacific measures were likely to follow since which until the present time we have had no direct communications with england but a mail is now arrived which brings us very important information we are acquainted sir by authority that negotiations for a general peace have already commenced at paris and that mr grenville is invested with full powers to treat with all the parties at war 
and is now at paris in execution of his commission and we are further sir made acquainted that his majesty in order to remove any obstacles to this peace which he so ardently wishes to restore has commanded his ministers to direct mr grenville that the independence of the thirteen united provinces should be proposed by him in the first instance instead of making it a condition of a general treaty now taking your present measures into view and comparing them with the declaration in this letter pray what is the word of your king or his ministers or the parliament good for must we not look upon you as a confederated body of faithless treacherous men whose assurances are fraud and their language deceit what opinion can we possibly form of you but that you are a lost abandoned profligate nation who sport even with your own character and are to be held by nothing but the bayonet or the halter to say after this that the son of great britain will be set whenever she acknowledges the independence of america when the not doing it is the unqualified lie of government can be no other than the language of ridicule the jargon of inconsistency there were thousands in america who predicted the delusion and looked upon it as a trick of treachery to take us from our guard and draw off our attention from the only system of finance by which we can be called or deserve to be called a sovereign independent people the fraud on your part might be worth attempting but the sacrifice to obtain it is too high there are others who credited the assurance because they thought it impossible that men who had their characters to establish would begin with a lie the prosecution of the war by the former ministry was savage and horrid since which it has been mean trickish and delusive the one went greedily into the passion of revenge the other into the subtleties of low contrivance till between the crimes of both there is scarcely left a man in america be he whig or tory who does not despise or detest the conduct of britain the management of lord shelburne whatever may be his views is a caution to us and must be to the world never to regard british assurances a perfidy so notorious cannot be hid it stands even in the public papers of new york with the names of carleton and digby affixed to it it is a proclamation that the king of england is not to be believed that the spirit of lying is a governing principle of the ministry it is holding up the character of the house of commons to public infamy and warning all men not to credit them such are the consequences which lord shelburne's management has brought upon his country after the authorized declarations contained in carleton and digby's letter you ought from every motive of honor policy and prudence to have fulfilled them whatever might have been the event it was the least atonement that you could possibly make to america and the greatest kindness you could do to yourselves for you will save millions by a general peace and you will lose as many by continuing the war signed common sense p s the manuscript copy of this letter is sent your lordship by the way of our headquarters to new york enclosing a late pamphlet of mine addressed to the abbe reynal which will serve to give your lordship some idea of the principles and sentiments of america signed c s End of The Crisis Number 12 by Thomas Paine